We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Samuel chapter 27. As today we have a really neat study, 12 verses, but just packed with so much for us to learn from. Because look what you read in verse 1, in which it says, And David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There was nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And Saul will despair of me to seek me any more in any part of Israel. So I shall escape out of his hand. Now we're picking it up in the story of David in which we find he's a fugitive. Saul is out to kill him due to jealousy. And God is preparing David to be a king. Most of the time when we see David on the run, and it's probably been about seven, maybe eight years now. Think about that. Eight years when someone wants to kill you for eight years. You know, most of the time we see David doing pretty good. But here we have a lapse in his faith. And we're going to learn from that, I pray, uh, that we would grow as a result of this chapter. Because I don't know about you, but I know sometimes, you know, we have those times where we kind of go down, we dip maybe in our faith, and God wants us to rise up. God wants us to believe and receive and draw near to Him even today. But to me, it's interesting how we read in verse 1, it says, And David said, where? He said, in his heart. David said, in his heart. You know, and perhaps an unenlightened person would consider this to be good. You know, there he is, and you know, he's talking, you know, with his heart. He's talking to his heart. He's talking in his heart. But, you know, we know that that's not really a good thing according to the scriptures. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, the Bible says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. The heart wants to deceive you. The heart Apart from God, wants to deceive others. You know, the counsel of the world is what? Follow your heart. But that is not the counsel of God. The proper counsel of God would be to follow the Lord. But unfortunately, we see David here has now come to a place where he was talking to himself. He was talking to his own heart, looking only into his own heart and not talking to the Lord. He was not asking God. He was not praying about things. He didn't inquire of the Lord as he had done earlier. It was so beautiful when you read in 1 Samuel chapter 23, verse 2, he inquired of the Lord. And you read in 1 Samuel 23, verse 4, he inquired of the Lord. He would have conversation and he would get his counsel from God. But now we see he's just talking in his heart, you know. And it's a weird thing. We need to be so careful. You know, for us, in our situations, you know, who are you talking to? What's God saying to you regarding your situation? What's the word of the Lord? I used to love it. My pastor used to come up to me and he'd say, what's the Lord been, been speaking to you? What's he been ministering to you? What's he been telling you? Because that would then kind of, you know, urge me into this intimate relationship with God in which I could give him an answer. What's God saying in your situation? What is revealed in His Word, the Bible, regarding the things that you're going through, the rough times that you're experiencing? Do you have a fire to inquire of the Lord tonight? 
You know, we need to be so careful because the words of this world and the nonsense of this nature and the lies of Lucifer, they're all there to deceive us. Notice again the lie, the lie that David is buying into. Again, verse 1, David said in his heart, Now I shall perish someday by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape to the land of the Philistines. And, and that's the way the enemy works. It's just a lie that oftentimes we buy. You know, it doesn't make spiritual sense at all. You guys have been following the story, right? Hasn't God been protecting David? I mean, he's been so supernaturally protecting David for the last seven or eight years. We just got done studying that last week in chapter 26. But somehow the lie had penetrated into the heart of David, into the point where he said there in verse 1, think about that, there's nothing better for me. There's nothing better for me than that I join the enemy. You see, and that's what the enemy wants. That's the agenda of the adversary. Remember the Philistines, remember who they are. These are full-on enemies of God, enemies of Israel, enemies of David. I mean, it's a crazy thing. Didn't David know better? And, and, you know, here we are talking about him looking into his heart and seeing something bad. But yet, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, God looked at his heart and he saw something good. What happened? Well, what happened was David had drifted away from God. David began to fear, but David began to fail in frustration. How long, God? How, God? And sometimes not even asking God himself. David knew better. But one of the things about life, and here's something very important for us to understand, is that we need to not only be learning the truth, we also need to be clinging to the truth. Not just learning it once, but clinging it to it always. In Deuteronomy 5 verse 1, the Bible says, Moses called all Israel and he said to them, Hear, O Israel, to the statutes and judgments which I speak in your hearing today, that's the word, that you may learn them. So we need to hear and learn. It's important for us to do that, learning. But then in Psalm 119, verse 31, the psalmist says, I cling to your testimonies, O Lord. Do not put me to shame. We need to be learning and we need to be clinging to all these amazing promises of God. You know, I don't know about you guys, but every once in a while you'll come across a little gadget here and there. Have you ever seen it where sometimes the, the nuts and bolts, they get loose? And they need to be tightened again. Well, sometimes that's where we are in, in, in life, in the truth. We learn them. David knew better, but sometimes they loosen up. And we need God again to stir us up to tighten those things up. David, unfortunately, wasn't clinging to the fact that God was his shield. Do you remember that? Do you know that in your life that God is your shield? God is your fortress? God is your protector? His faith, unfortunately, had faded far away from the young man he was that day when he had slain Goliath, the nine-foot giant of the Philistines. And that, you know, you read that, and again, it's happened to him a couple of times, and, and it kind of breaks your heart. You know, here he is, nothing better for me. Saul's going to kill me, so I'll join the enemy. And you read that, and you're like, crazy David, huh? <laughs> you guys thinking that? Well, before you look too far down on him, just as a quick side note, we need to remember that that can happen to anyone. 
It can happen to you, and it probably has. Some of you might be right in the middle of experiencing something like this. I don't know. It can happen to anybody. It happened to Moses. It happened to Abraham. It happened to Elijah. It happened to David. And it happens to us. Why? Because it happens to the best of them. It really does. And that's life. You know, I saw a visual the other day. It was kind of a cool illustration. I don't know if you guys remember, when you watch those monitors of heartbeats, what do you see? You usually see lines going up and down, right? Lines going up and down. If you don't see any lines going up and down, it means they're dead, right? It's just a flat line. And for us as Christians, on this side of time, it's kind of going to kind of go up and down. And, and the reason I say that, you know, not to excuse you, in any way for sin, because there's never an excuse. But I need to say it right now, because there might be someone here who's beating themselves up, not allowing the Lord to lift you up, where there you are and you've sinned and you fell down, and maybe the enemy's trying to keep you down. And the thing that we need to see, I think in especially chapters like this, if it, if it happened to David, it could happen to you. It happens to the best of people, and so the Bible says in Proverbs 24, verse 16, a righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. See, that's why it's in the Bible, the, 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 the pimples, the blemishes, the failures, not just to tell the story, but to encourage us maybe when we mess up. You guys, don't lose heart. Don't give up because we've seen the example of David. Yeah, he failed, but in the end, he became the king. And he became a picture of Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to get up. I want to encourage you to seek the Lord again. I want to encourage you that if you seek the Lord again, he promises that you will find him when you search for him with all of your heart. We might fall down, but we don't have to stay down. It took a while for David eventually, but he eventually got up and he looked up and he grew up. And he once again became the man of God that God had called him to be. You know, let's learn from David's ups and let's learn from David's downs, right? You've probably heard that famous quote of Abraham Lincoln who said he had never met a person from whom he did not learn something. Although most of the time it was what not to do, right? <laughs> and so from David, I think in studying his life, this is why this chapter is in here, we learn both. And in David's heart here, you know, we see fear in David's life, you know, due to the failure uh, undoubtedly of him to draw near to the Lord. Because I know this, when you draw near to the Lord and his love, then you will not live in fear. It just doesn't happen. First John 4.18 says that perfect love casts out fear. You know, when a healthy, mature understanding of the love of God comes in, then all the fear goes out. The only fear that remains in that healthy, mature Christian is the fear of God keeping you in the will of God, which is why Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. I wonder if I was to ask you guys today, you know, not to condemn anybody, but to challenge you, how is your devotional life? Have you been seeking the Lord? 
Can you say, like my friend used to always challenge me, not just did you spend time with him, but did you commune with him? Did you connect with him? Have you been praying? Have you been reading his word to the point that it just burns in your heart? Have you been on your face? Have you been on your knees? Have you been worshiping him? You know, I love to just listen to worship music in the garage and, and just, man, to really cry out to God. I just know this, that, you know, there's a lot of things going on in your life. I know there is. You've got to work. You've got to shop. You've got to take care of business. You've got to mow the grass. You've got to paint the house. You've got to wash your cat. All those things that you've got to take care of, right? But, man, you know, if you're too busy to spend quantity, quality time with God, then something is wrong. And, and I just know, even though you know, we see this right here, the whole story, I just know that David was not drawing near. He wasn't drawing near, and so there was this fear of men and not of God. David was fearful. David was doubtful. I would call David at this point, if I could say it this way, a fader. A fader. He was fading away. David was now like a fader, which then made David sort of a, a traitor. Because look what we read next. It says, And then David arose, and he went over with the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maah, king of Gath. And so David dwelt with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each man with his household, and David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. David was fading. David was a fader, so David now kind of became a traitor. And that's what ends up happening. When your relationship with God fades, then you begin to trade with God. You trade His will for your will. And my, oh my, how it affects so many other people. And there was nothing good about this for David's family, his two wives, his 600 soldiers, and all their family. And then, of course, what about his witness to the Philistines? I mean, you know, when you really think about that, you know, hey, isn't this the guy that defeated Goliath? And didn't he defeat Goliath in the name of Jehovah God, the living God, the loving God, the one that he said was the only true saving God? And now here he is. And he's lining up with the Philistines. What did that do to his witness? And that's what happens when we fade away in our personal relationship with God. We begin to trade away his will. And we get our will, and it's never a good thing. We lose our witness. What do we do to our family? What do we do to our wives? What do we do to our friends who would even follow us and sometimes are even supporting us as leaders? And the leader and the leader is not following God. What does that do? Where does that bring people? I mean, there's 600 men, their wives, their kids. There's thousands of people that David is accountable for. And it's a crazy situation. I pray that I would learn from his sin, seeing how it affects so many other people. You know, when life doesn't go our way according to our schedule, you know, two questions or objections we might have for the Lord. Number one, how long? And number two, how wrong? A lot of times we're like that. And when we're tired and we're done with waiting and trusting on God, 
You know, and then there's this massive temptation to just take things into our own hands in order that we might get our own will. And that's exactly what happened in the life of David. Because look at verse 4. And it was told Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he sought him no more. Huh. You know, when you look at it from a human perspective, I mean, it almost sounds like it came out good. You know, David got what he wanted and it seemed safer. He thought there was nothing better. It mattered not that it was not spirit-led because he had come to that place in his life where he wasn't unwise. He was willing to compromise as long as he got what he thought was best. But the last I heard, God's job was not up for grabs. God's will is better for your life than your will. And that's why we don't have to, you know, get tired of, you know, frustration and manipulation and begin to get our hands dirty. You know, you got to be so careful, you guys. A lot of Christians are like that. They said, well, if I get my way, it's okay to yell out or to sell out. I just, you know, want to get my way. And they begin to compromise. No, you guys, remember, the ends never, ever, ever justifies the means. I love the way that Moses, you know, he was not willing to compromise in the slightest area when the children of Israel were called out to worship God in the wilderness. You know, the Pharaoh offered compromise after compromise after compromise to the very end. We read in Exodus chapter 10, verse 26, Moses said, Our livestock also shall go with us, not a hoof shall be left behind. I'm not going to compromise, not even one, you know, animal, not even a hoof of an animal. I will not compromise. And yet I think a lot of times we are, are tempted, man, and, and, and we're challenged. And when we, you know, can't wait any longer, we begin to venture into areas that we shouldn't. And, and you know, here we see, you know, David goes to the extreme of even, you know, moving in with the enemy. And we have to be so careful. You know, when looking at this, you know, I don't know. Again, we're trying to talk about this in a very practical way. Somebody's trying to kill you. Have you ever had that happen in your life? I mean, somebody wants to kill me, okay? The king wants to kill me. Like, all logic would seem to say you know, well then, do whatever you can to get out of that situation. And, and you, know, you know, because they're trying to kill you. And, and, and you know, and David, we was in that situation last week. Kill him. Kill him. He's trying to kill you. Kill him. Self-defense. But life's not always that logical. Life for the Christian is much more spiritual. It's much more personal, in which God will speak to you if you're willing to listen. And I'm not saying we're to put ourselves in trials. Some might say, well, sure, God doesn't want his children to live under persecution, right? Are you sure? <laughs> You know, again, we don't put ourselves in trials, but if the Lord is the one who puts us in the trial, then my encouragement to you is to trust Him enough to take you out in His timing. Let Him be the one to determine how long as well as how. 
Let's go over to James uh, real quick. And I know you guys know this verse, well, most of you here do, but there's probably a few of you who you're not that familiar with James chapter 1, which is a staple scripture for us as saints. It says in verse 2 of James 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it some joy. No, he doesn't say that. Count it all. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. And that's God's uh, creative trials. The same word is used in the Septuagint for Joseph's coat of many colors. Different types of trials that we go through. Not only the individual with multiple trials, but God with his creative way of just, you know, allowing us to go through these trials. He says, my brethren, count it all joy. We need to come to that place where we just worship God. Thank you for this trial. Why? Why would you ever thank him for that trial? Why would you ever thank him that somebody's trying to kill you? Why would you ever thank him that, you know, you're going through this time and, you know, you're struggling in your finances, you're looking for a job, you're sick physically. Why would you ever thank him for the things that you go through that are trials? And he says, because we know, verse 3, knowing, we know this, that the testing of our faith produces what? Patience. And the, the better word is the word endurance. Endurance. You see, if it's not the you know, trials that you're experiencing in life, then you're not going to have the endurance necessary to finish the race with joy, and you will give up. You will be a splitter. You will quitter. It's going to be over. That's why we need to count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that this testing of our faith produces endurance. But here it is. But not just to make it to heaven. Not just to finish. But let... Patience, have its perfect work in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. <laughs> now, how many of you here want to be uh, mature? Perfect, is, it means mature. I mean, you want to be strong. You want to be complete. You don't want to lack anything. Well, if that's you, then you need to not just face the trials that you're in. You need to embrace them. And you need to thank the Lord that he's taken you through the fire because you know and you trust in God that he's going to bring you through. And when he brings you through, Job chapter 23, verse 10, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me or purified me, it says that I shall come forth as gold. And that's the heart that we have to have. Back in 1 Samuel 27, unfortunately, David had forgotten that. That, you know, God was preparing him. God's preparing you. You know, and I don't know what it is that, that's going to happen to you in your future, but I do know this, it's glorious. It's glorious. Because God has a future for you. Did you know that? He's got a future for you on earth. And he's got a future for you in heaven. And I know this, it's glorious. And everything that we're going through, it's preparing us for that future. That's where David was. You know, we talked about the fact that three things prepared David. Number one, being a shepherd. Number two, being a soldier. And number three, being a fugitive. 
Those were the things that prepared him to be the king that God had called him to be. The greatest, think about this, this is not for David's glory, this is for God's glory, the greatest king of Israel. God was preparing him. So much so that he would be a man who would be a picture of Jesus one day. And so all this time that he's running from Saul, it's actually good. And all this time that you're going through whatever the trials that you're going through, and you know what? I don't have to know the details. I don't have to know. Whatever it's God disciplining you because of your sin, or it's just him allowing you to go through a trial, whatever it is, all this time is preparing you for something glorious here on earth or there in heaven. Christian, you can trust the Lord. You don't have to step out in the flesh and get your own will, taking you out of what God's trying to do in your life. You don't have to do like David did. The other day I heard a really good illustration, and uh, I I double-checked it to make sure it was true. But uh, it's this whole story. Some of you probably have heard that story uh, about the codfish, right? And apparently codfish is a big business and has a huge market uh, coast to coast. How many of you here like fish? You all should because Jesus did, okay? <laughs> and fish is good for you. Stop eating all those steaks and chicken and start eating more fish, okay? Not too much, but anyways, codfish, it's a big business from coast to coast. But apparently when codfish were first being shipped, they froze the codfish for the journey, but they realized when the codfish arrived that the flavor was lost due to the freezing. And so someone came up with the idea of putting them in tanks and then shipping them coast to coast in seawater. It would take only three to four days to get there, but again, even then, the codfish lost much of its flavor and even its texture. It was kind of a mushy texture. And so they tried different ways to get that codfish there so it would be good and tasty and the texture just right. And finally, they learned a way to ship the codfish so that it tasted the same way on the West Coast that it did on the East Coast to taste like you just pulled it out of the sea to where both taste and texture were the way they were supposed to be. And and, and you know what they did? What they did was they put... Uh, the codfish in the tanks, and they put a couple of catfish in the tank with the codfish. The reason being is that the catfish is a natural enemy of the codfish. And during the shipping, check this out, the catfish would chase the codfish all around the tank the whole time. And the point being that God knows we are codfish and we have a tendency to need catfish in our life. And so God allows all these things, even catfish type of things, to help us grow strong. And and if he kept us from those things, we wouldn't grow strong, we wouldn't grow, we'd be mushy, we wouldn't be the men and women that God wants us to be. That's why you go through the hard times. And we have to search our heart. James tells us to count it all joy for that because we know God's doing a work. David, unfortunately, was not counted all joy. He was tired of asking how long, or he was even tired of asking how. And so he was not in a right relationship with God. He wasn't seeking the will of God. 
And so David, in his relationship with God, he became a fader, he became a traitor, and then he became a raider, right? That's what we read here. Because look what it says back in 1 Samuel 27. It says in verse 5, And then David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there. For why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? And so Achish gave him Ziklag that day, and therefore, Ziklag has belonged to the kings of Judah to this day. This would be in the southern portion of, of Judah, um, but currently under the Philistine control. David's like, hey, I'm your servant. I don't, I don't deserve to, to be with you in the capital city. So, you know, if you can give me some land. And, and so they gave him Ziklag. And it says in verse 7, that the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was, check this out, one full year and four months. Think about that. David was severely backslidden. No fire to inquire of the Lord for 16 months, man. It's crazy and it's dangerous. It really is. And so we read in verse 8, And David and his men, they went up and they raided the Geshurites, the Gizurites, the Amalekites. For those nations were the inhabitants of the land from of old, as you go to Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. And if you look at a map, you would see, man, David traveled, you know, 40 miles to do these raids. I mean, it was just a large extent of land. And so we read in verse 9, Whenever David attacked the land, he left neither man nor woman alive, but took away the sheep, the oxen, the donkeys, the camels, and the apparel, and returned and came to Achish. And then Achish would say, where have you made a raid today? And David would say, against the southern area of Judah, or against the southern area of the Jerahamalites, or against the southern area of the, the Kenites. And David would save neither man nor woman alive to bring news to Gath, saying, lest they should inform on us, saying, Thus David did, and thus was his behavior all the time he dwelt in the country of the Philistines. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel. David, the one who had slain Goliath. David, the man who trusted in God, who wrote what we, what we, 78 psalms in our Bible. David, backslid, 16 months no fire to inquire of the Lord. He was a fader. He was a traitor. He was a raider. Psalm 1, it says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of God, and stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That's where David was. Full on, completely. Murderer. Liar. David. And you read this right here and it just blows you away. No longer was he fighting the battles of the Lord like Abigail said he did in 1 Samuel 25, 28. It surely was not the battles of the Lord. He became a murderer, liar, the Lord's leader, the Savior's soldier to become a rebellious and ruthless, reckless raider. That's all he was for 16 months. That was his life. He attacked, acquired animals. He killed for close. He lied to his so-called leader for a year and a half. And there are some commentators who say, when they read him, you know, killing all these people right here, oh, it's okay. 
They say it's okay because he utterly defeated and wiped out the enemies of God. But the thing is, none of this was under the direction of the Lord. All of this was only for the protection of David. He started to live his life just for himself, right? It's been said that when you only live for self, then you live at the doorposts of hell. And that's where David was, which is why all of this can be so dangerous. You know, I mean, we know the end of the story, and, and, and maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, it, God is sovereign, Manny, and, and, you know, David had nothing to worry about, you know, because once saved, always saved, and, you know, once called, always called, and, and nothing's going to get in the way, and we see the way he was victorious you know, but I would be really careful with that because we do have the story of David, you know, being, you know, I guess awakened, but not everybody but he is awakened. I've seen that in life. I've seen that in the church. I've seen people die who at one time had this calling on their life. This is a warning to me, Manny, don't you ever be a fader. Don't you ever be a fader. Don't you ever be a traitor. Because it'll change you. And you're going to be a different man, one that, I was, that you were not made to be. I made you for so much more. But David, he, he flirted with fire. He danced with the devil. He negotiated with nonsense. Thank God he was rescued, but how many are not? And we learn, I think, from his life. You know, it's interesting to me when David introduced himself to the king of the Philistines. You know, we read right here. Uh, let's see, what verse is that? In verse 5. David said to Achish, If I have now found favor in your eyes, let them give me a place in some town in the country that I may dwell there, for why should your servant dwell in the royal city with you? I mean, David identifies himself as the servant of who? Of Achish, right? And there he is for 16 months. How long could he serve the enemy? How long could he serve the enemy? Well, look at verse 12. Because it says right here in 1 Samuel 27, it says in verse 12, And so Achish believed David, saying he has made his people Israel utterly abhor him. Therefore he will be my servant forever. Forever. And that is the agenda of the adversary. That's the goal of the devil. To serve him, not just for 16 months, but to serve him forever. And there's a battle that goes on, you know, for our souls. If you're not drawing closer to God, then you're backsliding. There's no neutral ground. There really isn't. And that's why, you know, in my life, the Lord is he's always challenging me. There'll be a day that maybe goes by and I know my time wasn't sweet with the Lord. Maybe I woke up late and I keep hitting that snooze. It's not good for me, man. 
I know that that time alone with God must be amazing. It must be passionate. It's so important to me. Because if you fade away, you'll be a fader. Then you're going to be a traitor, I promise you. And then one day you can find yourself as a raider. I don't know about you, but when I read that verse, verse 12, I read the agenda of our adversary. It's the dream of the devil. It's the aspiration of Satan. He, she will be my servant forever. And so I think in closing today, what we need to say, what we need to pray really is, Lord, I don't want to be a raider. I don't want to be a hater. I don't want to be a, a traitor. I don't want to be a fader, Lord. I truly see the severity of how this can affect my family, my friends who are with me, even me, for eternity. Lord, help me out. Lord, please get me out of this land. Lord, bring me back to where I belong. And I think the opposite of fading away from God is drawing near. Right? Let's go over to James again. If you're a good drawer, what do you need? You need a little creativity, huh? You're like, hey, what are you talking about, Manny? Well, I'm both. <laughs> both. If if what what is God calling you? How is God calling you to draw near to Him? Maybe it'll be an hour in the Word and an hour in prayer. Maybe in the morning. Uh, I think for a lot of you here in the noontime at night. I don't know, but there's something has to happen. We got a little bit get a little bit creative if we're not where we need to be. We got to get you know this place, this heart that we draw near to God. James chapter four. Notice what he says here in verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I think that's where it starts. You Submit to God. Even though you're going through so much, submit to his sovereignty over the, your life. Resist the lies of the devil and the agenda of the adversary. And notice what happens. He will flee from you. He'll run from you. And then what do we do? We draw near to God and he draws, draws near to us. But when we draw near to God, here's what we have to do. It's not all hunky-dory, not when you're honest. When you're honest with God, you do business and you dig deep, right? And you go into your heart and he says, Listen, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. When was the last time you wept? Over your sins. Let your laughter be turned to gloom, mourning, and your joy to gloom. Here it is. Just humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. I know a lot of times when we read that right there, humble myself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift me up. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, yeah, He's going to make me the next Billy Graham. You watch, man. Humble myself in the sight of the Lord. He's going to make me the pastor of this church in one month. You watch. But, but you know, why do you have to think so, you know, carnal, man, carnal, right? Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. Deal with the sin because we 
we got things that we need to scrub off and get out of our heart and and do business with God, draw near to Him, and you watch what happens, and He will lift you up. It's not just talking about making you some guy on that podium or that pedestal or that position. I think it's just about talking about lifting you up off the ground, picking you up, dusting you off, and encouraging you in this personal, wonderful, beautiful relationship that we have with God. Whatever it takes, my encouragement to you today is to draw near to God. You know, because we look back at 1 Samuel chapter 27, and we're like, well, you know, well, what got David out of this, Manny? Well, back in chapter 23, he was inquiring of the Lord. Here, he's not inquiring of the Lord. He's just talking to himself. He's having a good heart-to-heart with himself, right? But in chapter 30, in verse 8, is when he comes back to the Lord, And what does he do? He inquires of the Lord. That's what he does. He just comes back to that place of seeking the counsel of God once again. And so what do we do in closing? You guys put off the lies of the enemy. Don't listen to the lies. Last week we read that passage that said, When a ruler listens to lies, all his servants become wicked. Don't listen to lies. Put off lies and put on truth. Number two, put off talking to yourself and put on talking to the Lord, okay? Number three, put off the fear of man. Who cares if he kills you? Put it off. Don't worry about it. Put on trust in God. Number four, put off your own will. My man, you guys, God knows what's best. Put on, embrace the will of God your life. We don't want to be a raider, a traitor, or a fader. We want to come closer. And so we need to reignite the fire to inquire of the Lord once again through intimate time in His Word and in His prayer. Back in 1990, I got saved in 1989, but in 1990 they used to sing this song. as a Maranatha song. And it was called, Jesus Draw Me Close. And the words go like this, Jesus Draw Me Close. Closer, Lord, to you. Let the world around me fade away. Jesus, draw me close. Closer, Lord, to you. For I desire to worship and obey. Some Christians are fading away. They're they're fading away from God. My encouragement to you is let the world fade away, man. And let's draw near to God, whatever it takes. So Lord, we thank you for allowing us to study your word. We don't want to be in the land of the Philistines, in the land of the enemy. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember, that Jesus loves you.